I figured if Landon Jones could wear long pants, I could wear a tie. So, yeah, those of you who know. If you know, you know. Uh, well, welcome. I, I hope, I trust that all of you uh, took advantage this last week of the annual uh, celebration of February fake spring in Middle Tennessee. Uh, it always happens. The forsythias are out. The uh, Bradford pears are blooming. Uh, nobody ever accused the Bradford pear of having a lick of sense. Uh, I, you'd think after all these years, they would finally understand that it's just psych. But no, they, they come out and they get their, get their little blossoms out there. And so I bring tissues with me on stage in case something... <clears throat> unpleasant happens. Okay, uh, Pastor Kevin gave me uh, three of the Beatitudes to share about today, and they're three of my very favorite ones. So let's get right into them, okay? Would you stand with me? And let's read. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life and for the power that are in your word. I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place, because I acknowledge, we acknowledge that without the Holy Spirit, nothing can happen. No life can happen. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would anoint each one of us to hear what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Yeah, I've, I've spoken about this a few times. When I was young, I was not very fond of my surname. Uh, I mean, really, meek. Uh, I mean, why couldn't we be named, you know, yeah, strong or stone or champion or something like that, but meek. Uh, and then, but as I got older, it became something that, uh, you know, I, I kind of started buying into. Um, a number of you have heard me share about this before, but the two greatest Figures in the Bible are Moses and Jesus. And in the Old Testament, Moses says that he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Uh, there are people who are meek. I've ran into people who are meeker. Moses is the meekest. The only one that, that I know. My, actually, my, my five times great-grandfather who immigrated over here was named Moses Meek. That's cool, is it not? Yeah, I'm, they named me Ronnie. Uh, and Jesus, Jesus says, I am meek. Are you with me? Uh, anyway, uh, of course, it takes more than having that name to claim the blessing that goes with the quality the name describes. And it's not just the name meek. How about the name Christian? 
A lot of people claim that name and yet don't necessarily exhibit any of the qualities that that name should embody. All right, there are a couple of things that I, that I want to talk about about this particular uh, beatitude. And uh, the first one is something that may seem very obvious, but it's something that I, I, I don't think a lot of uh, believers actually uh, have considered. And it's simply this. The earth and the world are two different things. Uh, the meek shall inherit the earth. The earth is the planet that we live on. We sometimes call it the world. But that's not its name. The world is the system that is in place on this planet. And John tells us over in 1 John chapter 5 that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Money makes the world go round. And if you don't believe it, just look at the laws of any country you happen to live in. And you'll discover that those laws were probably put in place because somebody had money and decided that'd be a good law to have. But in the kingdom, see the world is diametrically opposed to the kingdom. Uh, money makes the world go round, but the kingdom, it's much different. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. Whoever wants to be the greatest must be the servant of all. The world has nothing permanent to offer us, no, nothing, nothing whatsoever. There's nothing that the world can give to you that you can keep. It says over in 1 John chapter 2, the world and its desires are passing away. And, and ultimately, they all are. But the kingdom can offer you permanent things, righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. And they're things that you can, you can actually keep. But when we come into the kingdom, we tend to bring the world's value system with us because that's all we know. And so we measure things the way the world measures things. This person's more successful than this person because they have more. They have more people attending their church, or they have more money than uh, somebody else has, or they have a bigger house, or they have a, a, a newer car. Those, uh, we tend to measure things that way and desire the things that the world desires, even though we're in the kingdom now. And we need to understand there's a difference between these two. They're not the same thing at all. We're now in an entirely new paradigm. So why would the meek inherit the earth? Uh, well, there's a couple of verses that I think can shed light on that. Uh, one of them is in John chapter 3, and this is John the Baptist speaking. John the Baptist before Jesus came, he was, he was the hot item. He was the one that the people were going, hey, have you heard about this guy? He's out there in the wilderness. He's baptizing people. Well, let's go hear him. People were, were going to him. Well, Jesus comes along, and this is early in Jesus' ministry, and John's disciples come to him. And they say, you know that guy that you baptized? I mean, you baptized him, if I, don't, if, 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 I, if I remember correctly. And, you know, we had all those people coming to us. Well, he's baptizing now, and people are going to him instead of coming to us. Talk about measuring things in the world's metric, 
rather than measuring things in the kingdom's metric. But John already had a kingdom perspective. And John said, look, you heard me say I'm not the one. You heard me say he's going to come after me. And so he has come after me and he's got to increase and I've got to decrease because a person can only receive what's given to them from above. There is nothing the world can give you that you can keep, but everything that God gives you is something that you can hold on to and have for eternity. When God comes, when Jesus comes back to set everything right, he is not going to be impressed by the title deed that you hold to a piece of land. He's not going to be impressed by how many buildings have your name on them. It's not going to be impressed by the size of your bank account because those are just pieces of paper. How many of you carry cash? Oh, all right, six of you. That's... That's up, from, uh, that's up from last week, I believe. Uh, I, actually, I actually have some here. And you know what this is? This is a piece of paper. And it's only valuable because people think it is. And if they stop thinking it is, then it won't be anymore. And, and it's not just American currency. I mean, any country that you go to, that is the way that it works. Because the world is, is a sham people the kingdom is what is real and and god is the only one who can give you anything and so those who are humble those who walk humbly with the lord would be in a position to inherit the earth because the earth is the lord's and everything in it it doesn't belong to you it doesn't belong to me it doesn't belong to congress it doesn't belong to some big corporation it belongs to god and he has decided that those who truly understand that, who truly are able to walk in that way, are the ones who are going to receive it. Doesn't matter what your last name is. Could even be Jones. <laughs> Severe. Something like that. Just ridiculous names. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When I first came back to the Lord, in my mid-twenties, I, I had a friend named Bruce. It wasn't Bruce Coble, it's a different friend. I had a friend named Bruce, and he and I had been running buddies before I came back to the Lord, and we didn't go to church. That wasn't where we were running to. We, uh, we, we were running a bunch everywhere but there, and, uh, and when I came, it, it, it upset him that I had come back to the Lord. Because uh, that wasn't what he wanted to do, and it's like he was losing a friend, so he's kind of ticked off about it. And we're walking down uh, West End, right across the street from uh, Vanderbilt, near, uh, I know exactly where it was, but we were, we were near Centennial Park, and he goes, <sighs> and he said, okay. When it says to hunger and thirst for righteousness, does that mean your stomach's supposed to hurt and your throat's supposed to be dry? Ticked me off. I mean, seriously, I was going, that's just stupid, Bruce. Uh, but the reason I was ticked off is because he, he, he trapped me. You know, it was right. I'd, I'd stepped into this trap. You know, I, I, we, we don't actually, I mean, yes, I believe the Bible, but I don't take everything in the Bible literally. When it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. How many of you have lied down in a green pasture lately? 
You know, that, that's, there's, there are metaphors, you know, there are things like that. And so he had, he had kind of trapped me, but it sort of taught me a lesson. We generally don't understand this word, righteousness. When, when, we, when you hear this word, uh, what do you envision? What, what, kind of, what kind of images come up in your, in your mind? Or what kind of thoughts come up into what righteousness is? Is it something you wear? Is it, is it places that you go or, or things that you don't do? That's probably the big thing right there that probably comes up in most people's minds is the things that you, you don't do. But righteousness actually means literally right standing with God, being, being put in right standing with God. We think it has something uh, that it is uh, about something that we do or that we don't do, and as a result, we do some very unrighteous things. I'm just going to let that percolate there for a moment. Because some of you can probably take this better than, than I'm going to run with it. But as a result, we do some very unrighteous things. In, in pursuit of righteousness, we judge others, which is a very unrighteous thing. In pursuit of righteousness, we coerce others to fit into what we think righteousness is, we, we ban films, we burn books, we become extremely religious, and we do what extremely religious people have always done. I, I was uh, reading the book of Acts this last week. And, you know, and I've, I've read Acts many times, and I understand, you know, uh, the things that Paul went through and stuff like that. But for some reason, this week, it kind of hit me. They tried to kill him because he thought differently than they did. They, they, they tried to take everything, you know, they, people who didn't think the way they thought, they would take all, their, all of their stuff from them, and they would strip them of all of their standing in the, in the community. I mean, this is, it's not just Jews. It's not just Muslims. It's not just Hindus. Christians, extremely religious. You know, um, many of you would probably say, well, I'm not religious. I just love the Lord. Oh, would that it were. I think, I think Michelle and I are going to go see uh, Jesus Revolution tonight. And that was, uh, that was back uh, about the 70s and, uh, and the hippies getting saved and coming into the church and everything. And, uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't out in California. I wasn't at uh, Calvary Chapel or anything, but I was one of those hippies that got saved. You know, and you got your five-pound Bible that you walked around with and your 18-inch wooden cross that you wore across your neck so that everybody would know who you were and where you were going. Yeah, and, and you could tell them about it, and if they just wouldn't listen to them, you could whack them with that Bible. That was a, that was a, that was a big thing. And, uh, and the thing was, I'm not religious. I just love the Lord. Well, you know what? We grew up and we became religious. It, it, it's, it, it's such an insidious thing. It just kind of gets in there, and the next thing you know, you're religious. 
But that's not what righteousness is about. Because we run smack dab into the prophet Isaiah who says that all of our righteous acts, all of my righteous acts, everything that I decide to do to be righteous is like filthy rags. It is something that is totally unclean. Righteousness is not something we do. Righteousness is a person. And to pursue righteousness, what that means is to pursue that person. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us it's because of him, because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Jesus' words carry the same metaphor about about hungering and thirsting. Uh, Over in John 6, he says, I I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Uh, He he is the one who said, anyone who believes in me, as the Spirit has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He's, He's the one who told the woman at the well, if you knew who I was, you would ask me, and I'd give you living water. He told the Jews, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Yes, Moses gave manna in the wilderness to your forefathers, but they had to keep getting that day after day after day. Whoever comes to me and eats will be satisfied because I am the living bread. And so to truly hunger and thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst for Jesus. We get sidetracked. We get sidetracked into into rules and and regulations and think that we're pursuing righteousness. But Jesus said over in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, flesh can only give birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. I used to lead worship at the Lord's Chapel. I did it for like seven years uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s. And I learned after a while that if I tried to bring it, if I tried to make it happen, if I tried to go, come on, people, come on, let's worship, you know, uh, the results weren't usually very satisfying because I was manipulating people. That's what was going on. But if I just came humbly before God and worshiped him myself, he'd make things happen. And I had, to, I had to relearn that as a pastor. I grew up in a tradition where there'd be an altar call at the end of the service. And whether or not the service was successful would all depend on how many people came to the altar. I mean, if they, if they didn't come to the altar, man, it was like, oh, what have I done wrong? I mean, this is, this is just terrible. God, yeah, I'm, I'm a failure. Uh, It's not the visible things, it's the invisible things. You you know, the things that you couldn't see what was going on. That that service, there might be somebody leave that service whose life got totally changed. They just didn't come down and sling snot at the altar like, like I was expecting them to and wanting them to do. And sometimes they would, but nothing changed. Nothing actually happened. You know, I had to get into the mentality of God, teach me to not look for results but to just be obedient and look for you. 
If you really pursue, and you might go, well, now, are you just saying that, you know, we don't have to worry or or be concerned about what we do? Uh, I am saying if we pursue Jesus, all of these other things will fall into place. You know, if if I pursue my idea of righteousness, then the results are not going to do be anything for the kingdom's sake. But if I'll pursue Jesus, I'll start looking like him. Start actually being like him. Oh, this is fun. If you enjoyed those first two, you're really going to enjoy this one. Uh, (laughs) Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Uh, This is a a primary life verse for me, and really kind of always have. Uh, has been because I enjoy receiving mercy. Is anybody else here with me on that? I mean, I enjoy receiving mercy. I, I need it. I like to get it. And I have, I, I have discovered that Jesus actually said something about it. If you will give mercy, you will receive mercy. Wow. What a concept. You know, when I was younger, I used to think that I always knew what was righteous. Whatever the issue was, I knew which side of it was righteous and which side wasn't. And then I got older and I discovered I don't know anything. I often don't know anything. But with this verse... I know what's right. This is something I can actually do. I actually can extend mercy to other people. It's it's pretty clear each time whether or not I'm extending mercy or not. Even I can see it and understand it. And this, this verse is a corollary to what Jesus says elsewhere. This is one of your favorites, I know. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When I stand before God, I know that I'm going to need mercy, but I also need it now. I need it now. And many, virtually every Christian knows full well this this command, do not judge. But we do it anyway. We do it anyway. Why? Well, it's because this is one of those commands that's for other people. This is one of those commands that's for someone else. You know you're judging. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to judge, Chelsea. So stop it. I'm just here to tell you. Yeah. I only judge when I know I'm right. I only judge when it's necessary and really needed. I, I, only, I only judge to help the poor, misguided person who doesn't understand that they're doing wrong. Because I say they are. 
It, it, being, a pre, being a pastor is so much fun. And, and especially if all you have to do is preach. And then you can go, Kevin's in charge. Uh, he's the one who, who gave me this microphone. I mean, this is what the greatest command, the second greatest commandment is. Uh, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, how many of you enjoy being judged? About as many as have laid down in some green pastures lately. <laughs> but we, we do it. Mercy and forgiveness go hand in hand. Can't really have one without the other. I mean, you, you can, okay, let me, yeah, you can show mercy to somebody who maybe hasn't wronged you or anything if it's, if it's easy. But when, when forgiveness and unforgiveness is involved, then that's when it gets real. And some here today, I promise, I know, probably many here today, <coughs> are prisoners to unforgiveness. So I've heard forgiving sermons before. I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm okay now. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not religious either, are you? So, well, how do you know if I'm a prisoner to unforgiveness? Well, let me give you some symptoms. Bitterness. Bitterness. You know, when you travel light, actually, even though it's a fallen world, if the Lord's your shepherd, it's, pretty good, it's a pretty good place to live. You know, I see trees of green, <laughs> red roses too. <laughs> yeah, but when you're bitter, you don't see that. Easily angered? I'm not easily angered. I'm only angered after much provocation. So don't do that again. <laughs> and the thing is, the reason why you're easily angered is you're not angry about this. You're angry about something that happened way, way, way back here. Might have nothing to do with what's going on right here. But it's never been forgiven. And, and I'm not... And, you know, when we, when we talk about dealing with the past, I, I'm not necessarily talking about, okay, well, I, I, look, there, there is value, and I, I believe there is value in therapy and going through things and understanding things, but the only healing is in forgiveness. The only healing is in forgiveness. Depressed? A lot of people are depressed in this world. And the reason why is because of unforgiveness. You may even be physically sick because of unforgiveness. Jesus came to set at liberty those who are captive, those who are held prisoners. Over in Colossians, 
It says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, as I, as I, as I talk about this, there's probably a, a, a little voice maybe in your, in your ear going, oh, that's easy for him to say. He doesn't know what I've been through. He hasn't had to deal with what I've had to deal with. And you know what? It is easy for me to say. And I don't know what you've been through. And I probably haven't had to deal with what you've had to deal with. But it's not about me. There is one who knows exactly what you've been through. Who has been through more than you've ever been through. And it doesn't say forgive as Ronnie forgave you. It says forgive as the Lord forgave you. I, I may not understand your personal struggle, but Jesus does. And he says, freely you've received, now freely give. I've, I have freely extended mercy to you. Turn around and give that to that, that parent, that former special person in your life, that business partner, that teacher, that whoever it is that's still got you by the throat. My favorite show probably ever is Hamilton. And uh, I, uh, I, I've seen it live twice. I've seen the Disney thing six or eight times. And if anybody wants to see it who hasn't seen it, I'm ready to watch it with you again. <laughs> and it, it always gets me. I mean, there are all, I mean, there are places where I laugh and, and everything, but there are also places where I cry. And one of those places inevitably is, is Quiet Uptown. Love that song. Yeah, my, uh, <laughs> my uh, um, grandson, Bo, uh, seven, he likes Hamilton as well. His favorite song is Not Throwing Away My Shot. And uh, we were... We were, uh, this is so off the track, but, but I've already started, so I might as well. Uh, we were in the car uh, a year or so ago, and uh, he went, Da, my favorite song is not throwing away my shot. What's your favorite song? And I said, I think my favorite song is Quiet Uptown. Really? So the next week, when it was his baseball teams uh, getting ready to play, and they're playing some pump it up music, and it's Bo's turn to select the music that day. So, Bo, what do you want to play? He went, play it's quiet uptown that's Da's favorite song <laughs> it's great so you know all these little boys are getting ready to go out and play ball and they're going if you see them in the street walking side <laughs> it was, it was. anyway those of you who don't know the story Hamilton was married to Liza Schuyler and he had an affair and it came to light um and obviously created a lot of separation and tension in their marriage. And then the capper that really added to it was their son, their, their, their oldest son, uh, was killed in a duel defending his father's honor over this. And so you can imagine what that did fact that for years I thought the song was titled The Unimaginable. And so they move uptown and the song is, it's quiet uptown. 
And the end of it, they're standing together in the garden and it says, Eliza by, uh, Eliza by his side, Hamilton's side, says, she takes his hand and then the words are, forgiveness. Can you imagine? And that's when the tears start flowing because there's such release. There's such freedom. There's such life and forgiveness. And right before that, the song says, there are moments that the words don't reach. There's a grace too powerful to name. Whatever the moments are in your life that the words don't reach, I'm here to tell you that powerful grace has a name. It's Jesus Christ, our righteousness. And you can walk out of here today free. You can exchange your ashes for beauty. You can, you, you can walk out of here no longer an uptight, defensive person. We're not going to do the regular worship team like we normally have. Those who are going to pray, go ahead and come forward here. I, I've just asked Michael and Kelly to play this song. Would you stand with me? And if you came today and you, and you brought a need, a prayer need, that by all means, bring it. Uh, if you don't know this Jesus Christ who is our righteousness, any one of these people here would love to introduce you to him. <coughs> but if there's, a, if there's a place of unforgiveness, if there's a place of bitterness, I invite you to come. God has a special anointing, I believe, here today to break that. And come, and don't just say, I mean, you can, but don't just say, hey, I've got some unforgiveness I need. Name it. Name it. It's my father. It's my mother. It's my sister. It's my brother. It's, a, it's somebody that I knew in high school. And let God set you free. We're just going to be quiet for a few minutes. Because <laughs> Uptown's not the only place it's quiet. And while they're playing, if you need to come, you come.